Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hazen. I am your host. And joining me for today's podcast is Luke Boggs. Luke, how's it going? Oh, yeah, it's going great. Living my best quarantined life uh, continuously and not much has changed with that. And uh, yeah, so just excited to be here. We are, I think, are both doing a good job of social distancing. Uh, this is a podcast that was built on social distancing. We have probably only recorded in the same room maybe once or twice uh, the entirety of doing this show. Um, but unfortunately, social distancing and and maximizing social distancing efforts has not been the norm across the state of Georgia or in a lot of other places around the country. And so as we come to you today on Sunday, March the 29th, um, we unfortunately don't have a lot of good news to share with you regarding our state's response, our nation's response to the coronavirus crisis. Uh, but that is what we are going to talk about today. And I think to kick this conversation off, Luke, I think the place to start is a really sort of sur- the AJC described it as surreal, this really unique moment in Georgia politics, Georgia media that happened last week. Uh, the governor hosted a town hall, a statewide town hall that was broadcast on all of the uh, major networks in Atlanta. It was broadcast on other networks across the state. Georgia Public Broadcasting carried it live across the state. It was this really unique moment of cooperation among Atlanta's media outlets um, that was noted in the AJC. And Luke, the purpose of this town hall was to sort of get information out across the entire state about the status of the coronavirus crisis, about what the state was doing in response. Um, And it was, I believe, the first time that Governor Kemp had taken live questions from journalists since the the Capitol basically kind of closed down um, under these social distancing measures. Luke, what did you think of the message that Governor Kemp put forward and that other officials in his administration put forward to the state last Thursday? Honestly, Kyle, I think it's pretty strange um, because Kemp seems to be trying to thread a needle that a lot of experts have said that there's just no business or gig argument for thrugging, which is he seems to be trying to balance between taking the proper healthcare precautions and not destroying the economy. And the the thing that I find so frustrating about this, and actually, frankly, a lot of my more conservative friends and family members found frustrating is most people are pretty scared right now and feel like the coronavirus is a pretty serious thing, or if it's not serious now, that it has the potential to become really, really bad. Um, and Kemp seems to be trying to thread this needle that of like not not going too far in the healthcare precautions at risk of hurting the economy. And I think what he's effectively doing is just prolonging the pain and just delaying the inevitable that we're going to have to shut down everything and just seeming really flat-footed in his response uh, since he's not accepting the fact that things are very bad and that it requires a strong, risky response and you're not going to be able to make everyone happy. Yeah, I think that that, to me, there's there's a couple different ways to look at this town hall. When you do a statewide town hall, you take over a primetime slot on a bunch of major media outlets in Atlanta and across the entire state. The message that you send is a really important aspect of doing that town hall, 
um, for people who are not as connected to Georgia politics, the day-to-day machinations of it the way that we are, this may have been your first time hearing what the message is from the governor and from other state leaders when you tuned into this town hall. And you heard a lot of the governor talking about this balance that you're talking about, Luke. He basically said that he had to manage manage this crisis from a statewide perspective, meaning that he was supportive of more aggressive actions that had been taken in Atlanta um, and in other places where the virus has spread more rapidly, where there are hotspots. But at the same time, he had to manage sort of the economic impact of closing things down in counties that had no cases of the virus, at least none reported yet. And a lot of what you heard when he described the state's response was, oh, we're doing a lot of different things. We got a lot of good things going on. I didn't get a really sort of firm grounding message about the status of this crisis from the governor. You heard sort of a call to action from the governor for people to be the solution to this problem by adhering to the guidelines on social distancing and not gathering in groups larger than 10 that have been produced by the CDC and and the the message that has been sent by the governor's office. But you didn't hear, I don't know, there was just something missing from it where it didn't feel like this sort of unifying, solidifying foundational message about what the state was doing to make this better. I don't know. It just seemed to go in a lot of different directions. And I didn't really feel like it sort of had the gravitas that you might have expected from an event of this kind of billing. I agree. I think the real problem from this is the fact that like nuance really doesn't work in a crisis (laughs) has been my experience. Like people want really clear answers and people want to have the feeling that you're taking it seriously and doing everything you can do. I think, uh, you know, minority leader uh, Trammell, who we quote a lot on the show because he's very quotable, had a pretty good response to uh, the press conference that I agree with. And he said, you know, quote, when was the last time you heard a winging coach say we still have arrows in our quiver? When it's t- go time, you leave it all in the field, everything, you don't get do-overs. And I, I think that's really where we find ourselves, where, you know, we have the option of going really hard uh, on this and trying to do everything we possibly can to make it not be as bad as it possibly could be. Uh, and that Kemp is choosing not to do that. And there, there's two there's two lines of thought I have with that. The first is I find it really striking that I, I've been doing a project of like looking at every uh, municipality. The, th- the thing, as I've been looking at all these different municipalities, they're taking the extra steps. Many of them explicitly say in the state of emergency declarations or emergency ordinances that they have passed, like, quote, we are going farther than Governor Kemp's order. And it's pretty universal. I mean, there, you know, there's some inexcusable things that Kemp missed. For example, you know, my mom's a hairdresser and for a couple of days she was terrified of going to work because she didn't want to get sick. And it's pretty much impossible to cut hair from six feet away. I mean, if you figure out a way, like, you know, you're a revolutionary because I don't know how you do it. And there's like gyms and a lot of other really obvious things that should have been shut down, uh, even if you're going to go with the more lax uh, direction that uh, Kemp has gone and only you know, uh, target the most at-risk people, I think that would have, you know, been a good compromise if that was still what he was trying to do as at least shutting those things down. And so many municipalities did that. But 
I mean, many municipalities went much further than that, too, doing voluntary or even mandatory shelter in place. Uh, some have done curfews. There, I mean, it, it seems like if Kemp is a trying to make people not get scared and not overreact, I think the uh, he's having the opposite effect. I think he's making people feel like he doesn't have an idea of what's going on and that he's not taking it seriously enough. And so they are stepping in and filling in the void and shutting themselves down. I'm not just talking about like, you know, hippy dippy towns like Athens. I mean, you know, I'm talking about like Winder and Tifton and, you know, places all around the state that have like pretty Republican governments are, you know, not taking any chances and they're being far more aggressive on this thing than Kemp is. And this brings me to my second point, which um, before we started the show, Cal referred to this as a straw man, but I don't think it is one, uh, which is if I was governor of Georgia or the president of the United States right now, I would have like two, two objectives. One, I would want to get out of this like quarantine period as much as possible, you know, as quickly as possible. And the way I would think you would do that is by being as aggressive as possible and separating people and doing shelter in place and getting people to actually follow that and encourage it through being very clear on the importance of it and the danger of not doing it, which I don't think Kemp has done. Uh, and then the second part would be using whatever levers of power I had to ensure that the you know masks and gloves and other personal protection equipment, also known as PPE, that we currently have shortages of, and we definitely have shortages of them in Georgia, like, those get filled. Like, I don't care, like, what you gotta do. You gotta, like, take over some factories. If you have the state authority to do it temporarily, you know, make sure those good businesses get paid, but, like, make them make the things we need. Um, and that's something the president definitely could do and has not done. Uh, you know, Kemp may be able to do it, but I, I would be, you know, testing my ability to get that thing done and being as ag aggressive as possible in pursuing that. And we just don't see that from Kemp. And it seems like he's far more worried about, you know, random towns of a hundred people than, you know, the large and medium cities in the state that are like not really clear on what they're supposed to do. And he's just kind of like throwing up his hands and like, well, do whatever he thinks best. I you know, I'll follow your league. And that's just not leadership. And it's like, that's not why we elect governors. We elect governors to govern. And Kemp seems very uh, scared to do that right now. I'm not sure why, because he has so much cover from other states, both red and blue pursuing more aggressive uh, directions. And I think, Luke, that brings us to a really interesting Facebook post over the weekend from the governor's chief of staff, Tim Fleming. Um, he wrote on Facebook that the media and some in the medical profession are peddling these doomsday models and projections. This has in turn resulted in people panicking and local governments across our state overreacting. Unfortunately, judgment is often clouded by power. As a result of their overreach, many small businesses will struggle and some will not reopen. Thousands in our service industry are being put out of work and families are facing much uncertainty. Local governments have now begun to cherry pick what businesses will remain open. And then he says that the state of Georgia is making decisions based on real-time data, a team of trusted medical experts, and a common sense approach. And here in this post from Tim Fleming, which sort of made the rounds in Georgia political news circles over the weekend, is sort of the beginning of this debate that was being had at the federal level on balancing the public health impacts of the spread of the virus with the economic impacts of the spread of the virus. I said last time, I still believe that this issue 
is a very tough one from a policy standpoint. And we might talk a little bit later on about the different policies that are at play here. Um, but it is not one that is tough from an ethical or moral standpoint, in my view. It is clear to me that you cannot restart the economy. You cannot get back to sort of a normal economic life without dealing with the immediate public health threat. And it was interesting in this response that that Tim Fleming is pretty directly criticizing local governments that have gone further than the Kemp administration has gone, while at the same time, Governor Kemp in his town hall on Thursday said that he stood by the actions of those governments, that those governments were best suited to determine the needs within their own communities, and that he was balancing interests across the state, but he was willing to let some local governments go further than he was going. Luke, to me, I think this gets it sort of the muddled messaging and and why I don't feel like I have a very definitive, concrete understanding of the administration's view of how urgent a threat this is. Because you have, there, there clearly appears to be some distance between the governor and his chief of staff on this issue, or the governor is saying one thing in the media while the policy being enacted or the message being sent to local governments may be different if it's coming from the chief of staff. I should note that the AJC wrote an article about this post and the governor's office said that the governor and his chief of staff were on the same page about this, but I don't know. I just, I'm still very confused by this kind of messaging. I think the only logical way to look at this is that Kemp's chief of staff is reflecting what Kemp thinks because that is o- the only explanation for why Kemp is doing this milk toast half measure of not shugging everything down the way that the CDC suggests that you should. Because, um, I mean, I, you know, I'll, I will be honest, I am sympathetic to the counties that think they don't have any cases. And the reason I say think is because most of them don't have the ability to test and it's well known that the incubation period for the virus can be up to 14 days. And so while they think they might not have any cases, they very well might. And, you know, all the the old men who sit at the courthouse or, you know, some other business might have it and not know it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know those communities, those, and I have friends in those communities, and some of them aren't taking it seriously, and others are. But I'm sympathetic to the feeling that shutting down those places is not worth the, you know, consternation that those folks will feel. But I think I'm going out on a limb here, but if people are told everything's fine and then people start getting sick and dying and their little local hospitals and health clinics get overwhelmed, I think in the long term that will cause more harm than good. And we already have a great example of the cost of not taking it seriously and wasting time valuable time uh, with this crisis and how the federal administration did not take it seriously from December until February and had to wait until the situation was so bad that they couldn't pretend it didn't exist. And I'm really afraid that that's what we're going to see in Georgia because it's not like we've been doing these mild shelter in places and the sporadic, you know, some places are doing it, some places aren't. Uh, And this has had smashing results where our numbers are going, you know, aren't increasing every day and they aren't quadrupling you know uh every week or so um no like more people are dying more people are getting sick and it's not slowing down 
If anything, it's speaking up. And so in that context, I don't see why they think this is a good approach because it seems pretty guaranteed to only get worse because even if the sporadic approach was working, it's not going to look like it's working because as our capacity to get testing improves, we're going to find more and more cases and people are going to keep getting sick because we're really paying for the stuff we did two weeks ago with that incubation period. And it, it just does not seem like there's a lot of foresight in, in this. And I think they are really taking a gamble that this thing's just going to magically go away and we'll be back to normal by Easter. And I just really don't think that's going to happen. Well, and I don't understand how you look at the outbreak in Darty County down in Albany and don't see that as a warning of what might be to come in other smaller communities across rural parts of our state, um, particularly given sort of the existing healthcare infrastructure that has been decimated by a lot of different economic currents in recent years. Um, rural hospitals closing, I think seven have closed in the last few years. There's another uh, at least couple dozen that are financially vulnerable those places, I would think, are going to have more difficulty ramping up capacity to meet the treatment necessary in sort of a hotspot, an outbreak kind of a case. And so so I understand that people are concerned about the economic pain here, but it just seems unlikely that you can avoid the spread of this virus um, when you look at what is being experienced in Albany I think the other piece of this that that you sort of alluded to, but I think is worth making really clear, is that the state has had a real problem ramping up testing capacity, um, and that means we do not know the extent to the spread of the virus. You mentioned that some of these counties that don't have cases may not know that they have cases. Um, what this means is we don't know whether or not the sort of softer approach to social distancing is actually being as effective as a more lockdown approach. And so for some of these rural communities who may be susceptible to the virus on a bit more of a delay than larger, more urban parts of our state, um, they don't have the testing capacity in place right now to know whether or not that's coming to them. So their local governments don't know if they're overreacting or not. And so that's why I think I struggle with the messaging because people don't have the information that they need to make informed, responsible decisions. And that's why some places that have acted quickly have done so, even if it does cause economic pain, you just don't have the information that you need. And it's not clear that that information is going to be coming anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's very clear. And I think my biggest frustration with this is that pretty much every single medical official that I've heard talk about this disease and the way that you prevent it from getting really, really bad is that when it's over, you should feel like you overreacted. And I don't feel like Kemp is overreacting. I feel like a lot of municipalities are overreacting in a positive, healthy way. And frankly, I've been very glad to see like when a lot of these mayors and city council people are talking about this, they actually frame it that way. They're like, we're doing everything we possibly can, and we are ensuring that this does not become a disaster. And they're they're making it clear in their messaging that they are taking more precautions than they think are necessary to prevent this from getting really bad. And the 
it's not like this is something that like Kemp will be entirely on the you know blamed for if the economy of Georgia gets really bad after this. This is this is a place where I think he's going to have a lot of he would he has a lot of cover both on the federal government and other states that like Georgia will not be the only state that has a lot of economic troubles if we do a full shutdown. And the fact that he just like doesn't feel like that is the right move, I think is going to be a big mistake because what I think we're going to start seeing is that while the situation in California and New York is really, really bad, I think at a certain point they're going to start improving and we're going to keep getting worse. And then they're going to act really surprised that we keep getting worse and just do the things that we should have done to begin with because they were unwilling to make those short-term hard decisions and instead they're going to deal with long-term recurring problems that just won't go away. Which goes back to where I started with this is like, I would want to be so aggressive in this that we might be able to get out of it quicker. Because that's the other thing I'm just so shocked by is that if I was if I was the governor, I'd be like, how do we make sure this goes away and stays gone? And, you know, the health professionals would probably say, we're not sure, but this would be the best thing you could do. And I don't feel like that's what Kemp's doing. I feel like he's hearing those folks say, this is what you should do. And then Kemp's like, well, my friends in business say I should I shouldn't shut them down. And he's making the decision to keep those folks open and, and not doing what's best for the health of people in Georgia. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the folks who aren't lucky like me and have the ability to continue most of my life um, professionally and socially from home, uh, that they're going to suffer for it and the state's going to suffer for it. And we're going to be stuck in this thing a lot longer than we need to be. Well, I think that raises this next point. We don't want to suggest that there is no economic impact or that the economic impact of shutting things down is acceptable. We are now beginning to see weekly unemployment claims come out, uh, particularly nationwide data that shows the scope of the economic problems that come from doing these aggressive public health response measures. And late last week, we found out that 3.3 million people in the U.S. filed for unemployment benefits. Um, That suggested that there was automatically a 2% increase in the unemployment rate, meaning the unemployment rate is likely at about 5.5%, pretty substantial increase. It is also likely that was the first batch of weekly data. Um, As we've talked about, and as you've maybe seen in the news, this is a virus that is progressing geographically from one place to another. Not every place is getting hit at the same ferocity at the exact same time. Um, So it is expected that these unemployment numbers will continue to rise. Being unemployed, particularly in a public health pandemic and a public health crisis, is a very bad outcome. Um, And I think a lot of people in the media, in policy, are very concerned about the well-being of people who are losing their jobs amidst this pandemic. In some instances, it means that you also lose your health insurance, which is a very bad thing to lose at a time of a public health crisis. So, Luke, we don't want to sugarcoat the economic realities that are there. I think these are the things that that Tim Fleming and, and people who would stand up these economic problems these are the things that they're speaking to, and they're not wrong about this. The data shows that this is true. But how do we approach what to do about economic problems amidst this public health crisis? Where you, where are other 
solutions that are out there aside from just mitigating the public health response? For Georgia, it's very difficult because, I mean, it's just, it's so ironic to me that the state's been going through a self-created budget crisis from cutting tax rates that were already so low that they almost were going through the floor and we're trying to cut it even further to just prevent the state from doing anything in a situation like this because it would just completely bust our budget and we would have to use a lot of funds from the rainy day fund to even potentially do a response that was adequate to the problem we're in right now and so you know just a little little note out there for why why cutting taxes further uh in in the state and especially doing something like a flat tax right now is an insane really bad idea um but i digress the unfortunately we're gonna have to rely on the federal government in a pretty real real way because i think with the increased strain on the healthcare industry in georgia and on the unemployment system in georgia both of which receive a lot of state funds it's it's probably already at risk of breaking our budget and so i i just don't see what the state can do beyond doing everything they can on social policy of preventing this from getting worse which as we've outlaid for the past 30 minutes the kemp is not doing so, again, a very strange decision on his part, because I think any short-term economic pain will pale in comparison to the long-term economic pain that the decision he's making is causing, not to mention the loss in life that will probably result in his flat-footed response. So, with that being said, we unfortunately are going to have to rely on the federal government um, to help with those things. Yeah, and Luke, after a little bit of back and forth, Congress has finally acted. Uh, Congress now has passed three pieces of response legislation. Um, the first two were much smaller in scope. Um, they did sort of provide investments into existing programs to try to have those programs meet those people's sort of health and wellness needs. Um, but the big economic package, at least the first piece of it, is what passed in the Senate and the House last week, and I believe Trump signed it pretty quickly afterwards. Um, it includes substantial loan and grant funding for large and small businesses. Um, these are funds in the form of loans and grants that really should be aimed at businesses to keep people employed during this time period, basically subsidizing them for not working so that the public health measures can be put fully into place. Um, it also increases eligibility for unemployment insurance. Um, as we saw in those weekly claims, a lot of people have already lost their jobs. And so it is important that unemployment insurance expand and provide people who have lost their jobs with resources. Then this legislation also does include a round of uh, direct payments to people. These are payments called recovery rebates. It's going to result in $1,200 in cash coming to people um, along with $500 per child. And then, Luke, you mentioned some of the budget problems that states and, and local governments are going to experience as well. It has a $150 billion fund that will uh, help states offset some of their revenue losses um, at the state and local level. This is a stimulus package that amounts to $2.2 trillion. It is the largest stimulus package passed in the modern era of American politics, of Congress. 
Um, it is a very... But don't worry, we're not socialists. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, it is a very expansive measure, and yet it still feels, at least for now, it feels inadequate to the cri- the economic crisis that is going to be precipitated by this public health crisis. Luke, any reactions to that uh, congressional stimulus plan or or the things that are needed beyond what Congress has already done? Well, I, I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, the hypothetical Boggs presidency, <laughs> where it's just like, I just don't understand. Like, I understand Trump's initial reluctance to make this a big deal just because of who Donald Trump is. But like now that we're in this thing, um, and I, I, this is not my comment, but I think it was a Politico or Atlantic article I was reading uh, that, you know, referred to Trump as an authoritarian weak man, which I think is a great way to put it because like, this is the opportunity. If Trump really thinks I alone can fix it, I alone can do it. Then I don't see why he hasn't like grabbed the podium and just like yelled at GM and Ford and all these other companies out there that have the ability to make masks or make the ability to make respirators and just say, you know, like, you are going to do this because I am the president and this is a crisis and I'm a wartime president and I'm making you do this and you can sue me later. Like, that's what I would be doing if I was president right now. And it's, you know, from everything Trump likes to play on TV, you would think that's what he would be doing. And he's not. And I think the lack of uh clear clear action and focus on the like undeniable fundamental things that we need like you can debate economic policy you cannot debate that nurses need protective gear like there's just no debate it's no question that they do and you know <laughs> though you know of course trump being trump has denied that uh new york needs as many re- respirators as it needs but yeah again i digress um and so i think the reason why we feel that there's an inadequacy in the economic response is probably tied to the inadequacy in the most, you know, the more direct failures in the healthcare response because of the fact that this, and as I mentioned when we talked about this economic response already, like it's a good first step, but it doesn't go far enough. And I think the reason why, at least I feel concerned is that I, I kind of feel like there's going to be a lot of people who are like, but we gave you all those checks. We don't need to do anything else. We did this one-time thing, and that solves all the problems. Yeah, and I think it it gets at the challenge, and this is a very difficult challenge, but it gets at the challenge of understanding what this public health crisis is going to mean for the economy in two months, in four months, in six months, that I think is is the missing piece here. Now we don't understand what it's going to mean. We don't know if pub- strong public health measures that are taken in some of the country's hotspots are going to be successful in reducing the spread. We obviously hope that they are, but we but we don't know how quickly the curve can be flattened, and we don't know how much damage has already been done by the lack of testing, the lack of a more aggressive response earlier in the spread of the virus. And then you have to also account for the fact that some communities, particularly communities outside of major urban centers, are probably going to be experiencing spread of the virus on a more lagged timeline. Um, And so you don't, you know, this is not sort of one problem that is affecting all of the country the same way all at once. It's going to come in phases and it's going to be difficult to predict sort of the economic fallout from this virus sort of progressing through the country at, at 
at a different pace in different places, you also don't know how quickly the economy can be restarted. And and there was a conversation on the weeds between Ezra Klein and Matt Iglesias that I'm drawing from here that I thought was really informative on this point. Right now, I am working from home. I still have the job that I'm doing. I'm still basically doing the same thing. Economically, I'm in a pretty good place. Um, a lot of people who work in the media are in a pretty good place if you're able to do your job from home. Today, there is stability economically for a lot of people who can work from home, but their businesses may be impacted on second order or third order effects by the collapse of the economy in the retail, hospitality, restaurants, in those industries. Most of the people who filed for those 3 million unemployment claims are probably in fairly concentrated in industries that had to do very immediate shutdowns but the but the the economic effects of that of the problem in that sector of the economy are going to ripple out into other places uh, the example that they gave on their podcast was that media companies despite having surging traffic because everyone is very interested in getting information about this virus uh, they are actually losing advertising revenue because the collapse in people's spending power means advertisers don't think advertising on media company websites is going to bring them business, is going to bring them customers. So even though media companies are offering a product people really want right now, um, the economics of that industry are hamstrung by things going on in other places in the economy. And I think that is what makes this a really complicated, difficult problem from a policy perspective about the policy prescriptions that economists that the Federal Reserve that Congress is going to put out there. And that's another piece of this that I'm really concerned about is we just really don't know what is coming next. And it's really hard to figure out how to plan for it. Yeah, (laughs) I wish I had some insights or words of wisdom I could give with this situation and, you know, contrast your <laughs> despair. Uh, but yeah, I don't really think there are any things to say. I mean, the 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 way I look at this and the way that I've approached uh, in our discussion today is just that I, I feel like having voters say you overreacted to this situation would not be a really bad situation to be in as an elected official because, like, your very obvious, very easy retort would be, like, I was trying to keep you alive and trying to, you know, keep everyone alive, and I was worried about, you know, my grandparents and uh, some of my older friends. I have a lot of older friends. I'm very worried about them. And I, I, like, I feel like no no voter would judge you har- harshly for that. What I think voters would judge you harshly for is that if you had all this information... And it becomes clear either through just plain facts or, you know, some very targeted FOIA requests that you guys knew the risk and you rolled the dice because, you know, you thought the GDP of the state during a worldwide pandemic was more important than human lives. And ultimately, I think that's the decision that Kemp is making right now. He might not realize that's what he's doing, but it is what he's doing. And um, I, I really... I'm just frustrated because I know I know what's going to happen. What's eventually going to happen is he's going to get to where most of the state already is in ordering a statewide shelter in place for everybody uh, because I'm just very doubtful that this thing is just going to disappear. Now, you know, it might go away in a couple months due, due to seasonal things. Some coronaviruses have been known to do that. 
but we don't know that it's going to do that. And even if it does, that's at least two months away. And I mean, it's just not worth it. It's not worth the risk because the other thing that's like confused me about this so much is that if we are overreacting and the coronavirus is going to not be that bad, I feel like you'd know that pretty quickly. You know, like I feel like you'd be able to see it when if we ramped up testing and everyone was staying in place and not a lot of people were getting sick and things got better. I feel like it would be a lot easier to, you know, dial the knob back and being like, hey, things are better. <laughs> and, you know, ha happy it wasn't worse than like slowly waiting and watching the numbers get worse and worse and worse every day and having to ratchet up to the most extreme uh, uh, precautions that we could take. I, I just I just don't get it. It, it just is a completely different mindset than I would have in this situation. So I think that raises to the other crisis that is going to be awaiting state lawmakers and the governor, um, sort of a second order crisis to the public health crisis is what an economic collapse is going to mean for the state's budget. Georgia is also experiencing high rates of unemployment claims. That's going to put pressure on the unemployment system to pay out additional money to people all at once. Um, other state programs, healthcare programs, food assistance programs, those are going to be increasingly accessed as people lose their jobs. It is a good thing that those programs are there for people to access them. Um, and certainly am not suggesting that those programs not be ramping up at this time of, of really dire need for people, but that does create a budget problem for states. Additionally, there's a couple of other things related to state revenue that are going to squeeze the budget going forward. Um, we are near the end of the uh, fiscal year, the 2020 fiscal year. Um, so that means much of the money that has been budgeted out for this fiscal year has already been spent in our schools, in our uh, higher education, in our healthcare system. Um, a lot of that money is already out the door. But two things that are happening that are going to make that are going to give the state budget a real challenge between now and the end of the fiscal year is this high rate of unemployment, which is going to reduce state income taxes and state sales taxes when people who are laid off are not spending as much money. Um, the other thing that has happened is both the federal government and state government has pushed out the tax filing deadline into the summer. And when companies and individuals file their taxes at the state level, that is already factored into the state's budget in terms of revenue that will be coming in, that will then be going back out in the form of state spending on programs. That means, you know, lawmakers are currently on recess. Um, they, I don't believe, are going to be coming back into session anytime soon. At least that's not been determined. Uh, but we have not ended the legislative session. They will eventually come back and have to deal with this problem of plugging budget holes in the state budget for this this fiscal year that is about to end, and then what is going to happen to the state budget in the next fiscal year. Um, and that, in turn, leads to yet another complicated economic question, because if the state reacts to lower state revenue by laying off state employees, by not doing the teacher pay raises that, that Kemp has been pursuing, and by basically reducing state spending, which they're going to have to do absent some support from the federal government, that is going to create yet another drag on the economy that makes this problem of growing the economy out of the coronavirus crisis that makes that problem even more difficult. Um, and so I know we've 
I've been sort of thinking about this conversation as we've been going throughout this show. A lot of complicated Mega. things going on here. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of complicated things going on here. I'm not even sure if we're being very clear with you guys, and I apologize if we're not. But I think the thing that is sort of weighing on me uh, mentally and emotionally right now is just the complexity of the problems that state and federal policymakers are confronting having to confront all of those programs amidst a public health crisis. And to me, really unclear messages about what the path forward is going to be. Um, well, so I, I, I think, well, I was going to say, I, I think the hesitation and, you know, feelings of unclearness that you feel are a direct reflection that that is what we're seeing from the federal and the state government, that they don't feel very clear about what the path forward is and what the future looks like and what the, you know, next couple weeks are looking like. Because, you know, it's like depending on who you ask, we're going to be locked up for two more weeks or until Easter or until eight months from now. <laughs> you know, it's like there's there's so many different answers out there. And I think um, the lack of clarity makes it hard to talk about. Um, the thing I think is going to be important is just holding people accountable for the decisions that they made based off the information that they had at the time. And I think that's the really important thing because, you know, to be, you know, I've been very hard on Kemp, so let me be sympathetic to him for a little bit. Um, you know, every, everything you've been mentioning just now is, is very true in the sense that, like, having the entire economy shut down and go into like the shelter in place and like let's even do like a more stringent shelter in place like Athens has that puts a lot of businesses just completely done like gyms hairdressers all them it's just not happening that you can't make any money if you're in those businesses you're just losing money for restaurants unquestionably you're losing a lot of your money uh you know you can still do takeout orders but i'm sure that there's no restaurant out there that's making you know maybe chick-fil-a is not you know they're not making as much money as they usually would um and weighing that then combining the fact that as you've just mentioned there are all of these state programs that are allocated the theoretical money that the state's going to be bringing in right now and a not insignificant part of the state's revenue sources are sales tax and if there is no economy then there's no sales tax and if there's no sales tax then you can't actually fund any of these programs um and so i mean that does cause a death spiral of epic proportions to the state's finances um which to me i mean means two things which is one i would again try to make that period as short as possible and i think by being very aggressive you probably could achieve that a little bit better um, but, you know, the other thing is that makes me feel that like this is something that is so bad and on a different scale than even the 2008 crisis. Responses that are bigger than the state of Georgia are going to have to happen or we're just accepting a completely different um, lifestyle and American experience after this crisis. And I, I tend to think America does pretty good in crisis and, you know, we might make a lot of mistakes along the way, but we usually come out stronger than we were before. And so I, I kind of feel like there's going to be some solution on the economic side of this, as well as the health side of this, that is probably bigger than 
camping. I, you know, I hate that we don't have federal leadership right now that we could trust more in and be more confident in than we do right now. But I think in the long term, I don't think figuring out all of these huge things is solely Brian Kemp's job to the point where he has to trade lives for economic status. And I, I feel like that's, you know, the wrong call. And I feel like that's the way he's unfortunately approaching it. Uplifting podcast today. <laughs> Uplifting, yes. <laughs> um, and come next week and we'll talk about puppies. That's right, puppies. <laughs> yeah, we're becoming a puppy podcast after this. Um, well, unfortunately, I think that is where we are going to leave today's discussion. Um, I think the thought that I'm left with as we close this out is that elections have consequences, and I don't mean that to suggest that I'm talking about any one particular election at all. But when you think about your vote, when you think about your participation in local government and state government and the federal government, remember that you are putting people into positions that they have to make decisions like these, and they have to be the ones to provide leadership during a crisis, and you never know when that crisis is going to come. Um, and so that is why we talk so much about voting on this show, talk so much about elections and all of these little itty bitty policy issues that may not seem like they matter a lot when things are good, um, but obviously seem to matter a lot at a time of crisis like we are in now. Who would have known that if you elect a bunch of people that think that they should burn the whole system down, that when you need the system, it doesn't work? Who could have guessed? Uh, well, with that, I think we are going to leave that there for today. Um, so, Luke, thank you for joining today's podcast. Happy to be here. Happy to be here socially distant and washing my hands more than I ever have. And y'all should do the same. Yep. We are going to leave it there. Hopefully we will have better news for y'all later, uh, but we will talk to you again soon. Bye. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.